0: morning, as well as our radio listeners. We've got just a few announcements this morning before we start the worship. The red rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Donald and Carolyn Henson, who will celebrate 55 years of marriage on January 3rd. Congratulations, Donald and Carolyn. Just a reminder, there's no Sunday school confirmation or Bible study today. All those activities resume next Sunday. You can still bring in your Giving Tree donations through the end of the day tomorrow. And the Congregational Meeting to Accept Nominations for Officers of the Consistory and Congregation will be held next Saturday, January 5th, following the 9 a.m. service. After that brief meeting, uh, they're going to undecorate the church for Christmas. So all those that are available, it will be a quick thing. And if I could now, for all that those could stand, please stand and join me in the call to worship this morning, which is taken from Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on this law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither; whatever they do, prospers. Not so the wicked; they are like chaff that the wind blows away.
1: Therefore, the
0: wicked lie in desolation, are the assembly of the righteous, are watched over the way of the righteous, that the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now we will continue to stand and sing our opening hymn, number one sixty. Children to come forward for children's chat with Maria and we can spend a little time welcoming our neighbors.
2: Good morning. How are you guys today? Good? Good. Are we feeling better? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope Caleb feels better too. All right. So let's let's do a little review. Who was all at the manger the night that Jesus was born? Who was there? A donkey. Okay. Who else was there? Mary and Joseph Joseph were there. Yep. Anybody else? Okay. Who came before the wise men? Who came from the fields? The The shepherds. Right. Now, did the wise men really come right away when Jesus was born? No. No. What else did we sometimes call the wise men? The three wise men or the three kings, the three magi, they have a lot of different names. But, you know, they had to travel a long way to get there. And when we we see a manger scene or a nativity, whatever we're going to call it, a lot of times the wise men are there and baby Jesus is little. But you know what? He wasn't little when when the magi or the three kings came to see him. A little over a year old, and you know what? How many how many wise men do we put in our nativity? Three. Do you know why there are three? No. Me either. Because it doesn't tell us in the Bible that there were only three. There could have been two. There could have been two hundred. We really don't know. But we do know that they brought three gifts. So I think that's why we always depict them with three. What did they bring, baby Jesus? Myrrh, gold, and frankincense. Frankincense. Yes. So, the Magi came from a long way, and even though they were men, they had to stop and ask for directions because they weren't sure where they were going. Okay? But, and they stopped by the palace to see King Herod. Okay? But, was King Herod a good guy? No. N- he's a bad dude you're right he is a bad dude okay because he wanted to know where this this newborn king this baby jesus was too and so he told them when you we think he might be around bethlehem somewhere but when you find him come back and tell me okay so off they went they followed the star and they found the house where jesus was and they found the true king because king herod is just an earthly king he's not a heavenly king so did the magi go back and tell king herod where no they didn't they decided to go home a different way so the magi had a big decision to make what do they do what a real live grown-up king told them to do or should they trust god and protect the true king who was jesus a child b good answer Maybe you know what the Magi did. They went home without telling King Herod where to find Jesus. They chose the king they wanted to serve. They probably won't have, you probably won't have someone asking you to betray Jesus, but every day you have a choice if you are going to serve him as your king. Let's think of some ways that we can serve. What? be nice be nice to who everybody. everybody how else can you serve do we just serve people we don't know <laughs> no could we serve by loving other people yes. yeah how do we do that do we have to go someplace to do that no. can we do that at home yes. yes can we do that at school yes, yes we do that at school okay Maybe it's something you do to help your mom or dad. Maybe it's helping a younger brother or sister or cousin play a new game or tie their shoes or. OK, so perhaps you have friends who need a little help with something at school. They just don't get this math problem how to do it, but you understand it so you can help them. And, th- and that is serving helping other people is serving and that's what we want to do we want to choose jesus as our king and by serving others we are serving jesus okay so as we wind down this this year and this decade we need to think about how we're going to serve going forward how we're going to serve our king okay so are we ready to pray dear heavenly father Thank you for these children. Thank you that they are willing to serve and to learn and to know that you are our king. Be with those who are not feeling so well. Lay your healing hand, Lord, and clean out all these germs so that we can start a new school year with fresh, healthy, ready-to-learn children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Killed in Afghanistan, Sergeant First Class Michael J. Goble, 33, from Westwood, New Jersey. Lost in our service in Maryland, Specialist David Collins, 32, from Kingsville, Maryland. And in California, Lieutenant Commander David Henry Hill, 38, from San Diego, California.
3: Thank you, Jay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for bringing us here this morning just to take a breath and to worship you. Lord, we thank you for the many celebrations that we had this week with our families at Christmas. We thank you for the gift of your son and for the way that he continually shows us how to live life in relationship with you, Lord. God, I pray that in these next moments that we would tune into you that you would help us to shut out the noise and the distraction of life and to keep our attention on you. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us this morning as we continue to worship you. We lift up all of our brothers and sisters that are hurting this morning. We lift up those on our cares and concerns list. We know that you know every situation and how to work in every situation, Lord. God, we pray for those who are killed in our service this week, Lord, uh, we pray for those who weren't able to come home because they were serving our country. God, would you just be with them and be with their families? God, we thank you for a new year, a new opportunity to be looking for you, to, to, for your hand in our life, Lord, to help us to have eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and hearts that are completely open to you. We pray, pray all of these things in the name of your Son, who taught us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Would you join us in singing hymn number 166, We Three Kings. may be seated. This morning our offering goes to the Center for Neurological Development in Burkittsville, Ohio, and at this time I'd like to invite the um, deacons forward to come and collect the offering while Kay plays some special music for us.
1: like to follow along with, oh, you can be seated. Sorry. If you'd like to follow along with scripture today, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, and we'll be reading selected verses one through nine and 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. The word of the Lord.
3: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you again for gathering us to worship you, um, to take a break from the busyness of the season and of life, and just to focus in on you. God, I pray that you would help us to keep our hearts tuned in to you this morning, Uh, keep our hearts open to what you have for us, and may the um, things that I say this morning, may they be pleasing to you, Lord. We love you and we thank you for this time. Amen. I hope that you all had a very merry Christmas and that you got to spend a lot of time with the people you love most. I can't believe that 2020 is just around the corner. It doesn't it doesn't seem like a new year is three days away, but it really is. Um, and usually around this time of year, many of us start thinking or making New Year's resolutions. Around this time last year, Jake and I were in the gym, and we were running the track together. And when I run, I typically like to listen to podcasts. And on this particular day, I was listening to a podcast on marriage. And the topic of the episode was setting your goals for 2019. And the couple challenged their listeners to consider creating their goals for the coming year as a couple. So they laid out their own examples of goals that they had talked about. So they had personal, career, marriage, and spiritual goals that they had set for the coming year. And I'm kind of a goal-oriented person. I really like to have things to work towards. And I really liked the idea of setting goals together for the coming year as a couple. So I talked to Jake, and he was like, yeah, sure, we can do that. And we, before the new year, we both sat down, and we each came up with our goals for 2019. We settled on four categories that we wanted to work on. So we had personal, marriage, career, and spiritual goals. And we each came up with two to three goals for each of those categories. And we, we talked through them, we prayed about them, and we wrote them down and we put them on paper. And we stuck the paper, uh, the, a copy of the paper on our refrigerator and we stuck the other ones in our Bibles just to remind us of what we were working on for the coming year. So this past month, Jake and I took out those goals, and we wanted to look back and see how we did throughout the year. We were kind of excited to see how many of them we accomplished. Jake went back to school this summer to become a police officer. It was an insane summer at our house, but he made it through, he passed all of his tests, and he is now a police officer. We both worked on communicating better with each other, we had more date nights, and we both developed and maintained a healthier lifestyle this past year. You know, one thing I love about the new year is that it's an opportunity to reflect, to reflect on the past and to look forward to the things to come. And around this time of year, we're all asking ourselves the same two questions. Where am I now and where do I want to be in the year to come? And these two questions really serve as great check-ins for us. They can help us check-in to see how we're doing physically, how we're doing on a personal level, but more, more importantly, on a spiritual level as well. So today we're going to use those two questions to kind of check-in on the condition of our heart. It's good to do this from time to time. And I want to challenge you this morning to honestly think and answer, about, or answer these two questions. What is the condition of my heart? And what do I want the condition of my heart to look like in the coming year? You know, biblically speaking, our hearts are really important to God. They're part of our spiritual makeup. Our desires, our emotions, our actions all flow from the heart. And depending on the condition of our heart, it can be a good or a bad thing. The Lord said in 1 Samuel 16, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when God chose David to be king, he didn't care how physically fit or handsome or likable or kind he was. He looked straight at the condition of his heart. God knows that the condition of our hearts drives our behaviors, our decision, and often our lives. For us, it's easy to look at people from the outside and think, oh, they have a heart of gold. They must be a great Christian. They must be a total follower of God. You know, outward appearance can be deceiving sometimes. Sometimes a heart of gold on the outside can look very different on the inside. And God knows that. And that's why He cares more about our hearts and the condition of our hearts. So, if our hearts are important to God, then how do we evaluate how, how they're doing? Thankfully, God gives us a lot of scriptures to do this. But one of my favorite ones, and one that I often use with our students, is the parable of the four soils in Matthew 13. I love this parable because it allows me as a youth pastor to kind of see where our students are at, to see where they're, what they're thinking about and their relationship with God. And Jesus used parables a lot to teach large groups of people because parables accomplished two things. The first thing is that parables test the heart of the listener. They help us to see how open our hearts are to the message that Christ is trying to communicate. And the second thing is that parables invite us to act. The crowds that Jesus spoke to had a wide range of attitudes concerning following him. And so speaking in parables basically allowed Jesus to tell the people listening, either you're in or you're out. There's no more riding this like commitment line of following me. So the parable of the four soils encourages us to consider the condition of our hearts and to evaluate how we continually allow the gospel to take root and shape our lives. So this parable asks those listening thousands of years the same two questions that we are going to be asking ourselves today. What is the condition of my heart and where do I want it to be? So Jesus began this parable by telling the crowd a story of a farmer out scattering seed. As he was scattering seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown." So in this parable, there's four different soils, and they all represent the different conditions of our hearts. There's the good soil, and then there's the three other soils that are hardened to various degrees. But the first soil is the hardest of them all. So Jesus compares the hardened soil to the path. The path has been walked on, the dirt has been trampled down by foot traffic, and the ground is dry and dusty, and the seed cannot break through the ground, and it is left exposed to the elements and to birds to come and snatch it off the path. So Jesus describes someone with a hard heart as one that listens to the word but doesn't understand it. They hear it with their ears, but they can't understand and comprehend its truth and the implications for their life for themselves. The hardness of their heart prevents the gospel message from truly taking root in their lives. You know, the Pharisees really fit the description of the heart and heart that Jesus is talking about here. In Mark 3, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there was a man with a shriveled hand in need of healing. And according to the Pharisees, it was unlawful for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath, because that would require work. And working on the Sabbath was completely unacceptable. So Jesus pushed back on this hard-heartedness that the Pharisees had. And he said, "Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or to do what is evil? To save a life or to kill?" But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their hearts, he told the man, "Stretch out your hand." So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So notice how Jesus responded there. He was angry at their hard-heartedness, but he was also filled with sorrow. The Pharisees were missing the point point completely, and that broke his heart. Jesus knew that the hardness of their heart would keep them from truly understanding who he was and being changed and transformed by him. They were more concerned with social status and following traditions and rules than being in a transforming relationship with Christ. You know, we often think of the soil of the path that refers to someone that rejects the gospel message, and that's true. But I also think sometimes there's times as believers that our heart looks a lot like the hardened path. Our hearts can easily become hardened by sin and unrepentance. Pride also hardens our heart towards God. Many of us, myself included, have been raised with the pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. It's not necessarily a bad mentality to have. It leads to really good work ethic, Uh, but it can become very prideful if we're not careful. The bootstraps mentality essentially tells God that we can run our own lives, that we don't need him to help us out of situations or help us even to live daily, that we can live life on our own. If you think about it, it's really prideful at the, at the root of it because God designed us to live in relationship with him, to rely on him to get through our daily lives, to pull us up from any situation, not ourselves. You know, sometimes our hearts are also hardened because we've just stopped listening to God. We've started going through the motions of faith. Isaiah 29:13 talks about what this looks like. He says, These people come near me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they have been taught. You know, it's really easy to give God lip service, to show up on Sunday mornings to do the Christian thing, but to have our heart completely removed from it. And giving lip service to God and going through the motions of faith oftentimes hardens our hearts towards God because our hearts are no longer in that relationship. You know, we run the risk of our hearts becoming hardened towards God when we start rejecting the truth of God's word and the way he calls us to live in relationship with him. The second soil that Jesus talks about describes a shallow heart. The soil is fertile, and the seed can take root, but the rocks in the soil prevent the roots from growing deep into the ground. So when the sun gets too hot or the conditions change, the plant withers and it dies because it has no real root. So the shallow heart soil perfectly described me when I was in confirmation in 7th and 8th grade. I really wanted to be in a Confirmation. I was excited for Confirmation to start, and every year I would start out so strong. I would set goals on the first night of class, and I would set aside time each night to do my Confirmation homework, which really wasn't that much, um, and I would set aside a time, to set time aside to pray as well, and I would promise myself every year, and I would also promise God, that I wouldn't get behind And usually around month three or four, my initial excitement for confirmation started to wear off. And at some point during the year, my mom would get a call from my youth pastor saying that I was behind on my confirmation work. And clearly, my empty promises to myself and to God didn't quite work out because I had to spend weeks at the end of the year catching up on all the homework I just didn't do. You know, the Bible has a few examples of people that fall into this shallow heart soil. Judas Iscariot is one of them. Judas became a disciple, and he looked like the real deal for all three and a half years that he was with Jesus. He traveled with Jesus, he supported his ministry, until he realized that being a disciple wasn't really going to work out as he had planned. Judas enjoyed following Jesus when it was convenient. But when he faced the pressure to turn on Jesus, his shallow commitment to Christ could not withstand the pressure. You know, a heart in the rocky soil is marked by shallowness and lack of commitment. Many people joyfully respond to the gospel message by accepting Christ into their lives. But the struggle for them comes when living a life of faith is no longer easy or convenient. Jesus outlines the commitment needed for following him in Matthew 16. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, that passage there that Jesus told the disciples and that we're reading this morning pretty much guarantees that being a disciple is not going to be easy or convenient. It's going to be hard. It's going to require us to give something of ourselves. And when Jesus told the disciples to, go to, the cro- to be willing to take up their cross and die for him, he really meant to die for him because the cross was an instrument of death back then. And so taking up your cross really was a death sentence. And for us, it means to be willing to go that, to that length. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound easy or convenient to me. You know, following Christ requires a commitment that doesn't fade when challenges or persecution comes, when following him becomes inconvenient, and that commitment is what the soil of the shallow heart is lacking. The third soil Jesus talked about is the thorny soil that describes a distracted heart. The soil is fertile, the seed can grow, but it's so fertile that unwanted thorns can grow up with it. Eventually, the thorns become so powerful that they choke out the life of the plant and it withers away. The worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth are the two things that Jesus says choke out the life of the plant. You know, worry is something that we all deal with, right? We all have legitimate worries when life is hard, when it's stressful, when the people we love are struggling. We also worry about tiny details that don't really matter in the long run but still try to distract us. I'll never forget my first out-of-country mission trip. I went to Saltillo, Mexico in ninth grade with my youth group, and I was so worried about this trip. I was worried about what we would be doing. I was worried about communicating with people. And most of all, I was worried about getting sick from the food. You might not know this about me, but I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac, and getting sick is something that has always just caused me anxiety. But I was determined on this trip not to let my anxieties get in the way. So before we left, I sat down with my Bible, and I went through and looked up any scripture I could possibly find on worry or anxiety or anything within that, that theme, and I just started highlighting any verse that I could find, and one thing that I noticed as I was highlighting is that a lot of the scriptures on worry or anxiety are usually backed up with a promise from God. Promise, a promise to care for us, to be there for us, to provide for us in only a way that he can. You know, worry often creeps into our lives without us knowing, but it also creeps into our spiritual lives. And it can threaten to choke out the promises of God that we know to be true. There will always be things in life for us to worry about, and, but it's up to us to decide how we handle those worries. A couple weeks ago, I was scrolling through social media And I came across a post on suffering. And I think it also applies to worry as well. And the end of the post has stuck with me ever since. It said, you're going to face suffering, but you can choose to suffer in the right direction. You know, I think that goes, that's the same with worry. We can worry in the right direction and we can worry towards God and allow him, give our worries to him and allow them to point us to him. Or we can worry in the wrong direction and allow our worry to consume us and to eat us up and to choke out our relationship with God. But it's up to us to decide what we do with the thorns of worry in life. The other thing that Jesus mentions that chokes out the life, uh, the word of God in a person's life is the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth and the pursuit of money can easily take our focus off of God. Matthew 6 24 says no one can serve two masters either he will hate the one and love the other Or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money You know the 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 love of money and the pursuit of wealth can easily give us a false sense of security It's easy to put our trust in the things of this world the things that we can see the things that we can touch Things like status success relationships. All of those things are good things but if we put our trust in those things, they can easily compete for our attention and compete for our relationship with God. And placing our life and our trust in anything other than Christ divides our attention and our heart. And if we're not careful, the thorns of life, whether it's worry or whether it's the, worldly, the pursuit of worldly things, can damage our faith if we let them take over our lives. The final soil Jesus talks about is the good soil. And the good soil has a good, solid foundation, and the roots can grow deep into the ground. And this soil is good for many things, but mostly because in this soil, the seed can grow to its fullest potential and start to produce fruit. So the good soil represents a person with a receptive heart, a person whose heart is open to receiving and growing in their relationship with Christ. James 1, 22 through 25 kind of gives us a practical way of looking at this. what the, a heart in the good soil looks like. A person that has a receptive heart readily responds to the gospel, but then they take it a step further. They look into the word of God and look at, look at it to do something with it and to apply it to their daily lives. You know, it's important to remember, though, that someone with a receptive heart, someone that's in the good soil, also still, they still have to deal with everything that other soils have. They still have sin and attitudes that try to harden their heart. They have varying levels of commitment to their relationship with Christ from time to time. They also have thorns that continually pop up and try to distract them from their relationship with God. But they remain faithful through it all, and that's the difference. And God produces fruit in their life because of their endurance and faithfulness. And that fruit is the evidence of the continual transformation that they experience in relationship with Christ. So we've just walked through all of these different soils and the heart conditions that they represent. You know, every single person sitting in this room, really even on earth, falls into one of these four soils. And that's what I love about this parable is that there are four soils and four options and that's it. And you might be sitting here thinking about your, your, where you're at and the condition of your heart and you might be realizing it's not quite where you want it to be. But you know what? The beautiful thing is that God is in the business of mending hearts and he longs for us to hear the gospel message and to respond. God will do the work of transformation in our lives, but we must partner with him and position our hearts to be open and worked on by the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? Well, many of you are farmers and you know that before you go to plant the seeds, you have to till the soil. Plant growth often starts with tilling up the soil. And some of you sitting here might be thinking that the condition of your heart looks a lot like the hardened path. There might be an attitude or unrepentance that is preventing the word of God from truly taking root in your life. But that doesn't mean that it can't take root. And if you truly want your heart softened towards God, it's pretty simple. All you have to do is ask. Ask. Ask God to till up the soil of your heart, to to point out the things that are causing you to become hardened towards him, and ask him to dig it up. It's not going to be easy, but God is the master gardener, and he will dig that stuff up if you ask him to. Maybe you've realized this morning that your relationship with God is a little bit on the shallow side. God's word can grow in your heart and move past the surface level. It'll just require you to dig a little deeper. Billy Graham once put it this way. He said, Our faith grows stronger only as we nourish and exercise it. If we don't, it'll always be weak. Just as we need food and exercise to grow and to become strong physically, so we need spiritual food and exercise in order to grow and become strong spiritually. And God has provided everything we need to make this happen. So God's given us his word, he's given us ways to connect with him, and he's given us people around us to help us to push past the surface level and to dig deep in our relationship with him. So if your heart is falling into the the shallow soil, dig deeper, dig deeper into scripture, into prayer, and get connected with people that can push you past the surface. For others, the condition of your heart might be marked by distraction. Maybe you've just spent a lot of time worrying lately, or maybe there's worldly things that just keep popping up trying to distract you from God. You know, I hate to break it to you, but the thorns of life are never going to go away. They're always going to be there, but that doesn't mean that we have to be consumed by them, that we have to be transformed by them. In fact, Romans 12:2 says, Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Just because those thorns pop up doesn't mean that we have to give them the time of day. doesn't mean that we have to be conformed by them. They don't have to change us. We can ask God to renew our mind, to focus our hearts on him in time of worries or distractions, and to focus on the promises that he gives us throughout scripture. The worry and distractions are never going to go away, but God can help us to keep our hearts focused on him. And I'm sure that there are many of you here, That fall into the good soil. And if that's you, that's awesome. But you still have work to do. You're not done. And it's time for you to get to work and be a a sower, to help plant the gospel message in the hearts and the minds of the people around you. You can be a seed planter anywhere, at work, at school, at home, even at the grocery store standing in the checkout line. My old youth pastor used to say, your life may be the only Bible someone ever reads. So spread the, go- spread the gospel through your words, but also through your actions. Ask God to help you keep your eyes and your heart open to the people around you that need to hear the gospel message. You know, the condition of our hearts is really important to God. Honestly, examining our hearts isn't always easy. Sometimes it reveals that we are not where we want to be. But that's okay, because God doesn't leave us in one place for too long. He longs for us to grow in our relationship with him, to to deepen that relationship, but we have to make sure that our hearts are open, that they're open to being used and worked on by the Holy Spirit. So as you begin this new year, I want to challenge you guys. As you leave from this place today, take some time just to honestly think through where your heart's at and bring those things to the Lord and ask him to help you grow this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us in one place for too long, Lord. I I thank you for scriptures like the parable of the four soils that challenges us to honestly look at our hearts, to see what the condition is like in there, Lord, um, and to act and to change, Lord. God, we know that you are in the business of changing hearts and healing things. And God, we ask that for every person here, that you would help us to grow in this coming year, that you would help us to keep our eyes and our ears open to you in the coming year. God, I pray that as we evaluate the condition of our hearts, that you would reveal to us that you're bigger than where we're at and that you won't keep us there for too long. We love you and we thank you for this time. Amen you all would join and stand and sing hymn number 144, How Great Our Joy. prayer for all of us and it for the, for the new year, and it comes from Colossians 1. It says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You may go in peace and happy new year.